Okay, so hello and welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. Uh, I'm just waiting for traffic to clear up. So in the meantime, I'm going to look at the Bible, at Genesis, and picking up from chapter 17. Yeah, chapter 17. Okay, so this is the chapter where God tells uh, Abram, uh, gives him a new name, calls him Abraham, and tells him to circumcise uh, his kids and everyone in his family. So, everybody. And I guess what's one of the questions that we have to deal with in application, uh, should Christians get circumcised, get potong as well today? Okay, all right. So it's a very long passage. I'm not sure I'm going to do this. Uh, maybe I read bits of it and make comments along the way. Yeah. Okay. So I realized that I did do a bit of this reading in the last video, where I pulled out all the commentaries and looked at what it said. Uh, but that was, uh, yeah, quite boring. So maybe I tried to go through these verses quicker. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Anyway, let's see. Genesis chapter 17. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help me to understand this passage and to be able to share it in a way that makes sense and helps people to understand it for themselves. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Um, is it El Shaddai? Yeah, El Shaddai, God Almighty, uh, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So Abram, uh, 99 years old, very, very old. God says, Boom, I'm Almighty God. Now walk before me in a pure way, in a blameless way so that I can renew my covenant. So it's almost like a condition for God to give all the promises he's already promised. Well, not like condition, it's kind of like a reminder that, you know what, um, God is God, you know, he's holy. And to have this relationship with God entails our holiness and purity in our lives as well. And that's the means by which God will bless us, you know, through that relationship with him. Uh, verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you, may multiply you greatly. So a great uh, blessing comes in great numbers that are multiplied. This is a restatement of the Genesis. One promise, you know, be fruitful and multiply. God um, restates this blessing towards Abram. Yeah. Uh, so he is going to be this new Adam, this new generation, this new people that will bear God's blessing uh, through multiplication, yeah, through growth. Uh, verse 3, then Abram fell on his face. It doesn't say anything. You know, he just worships God. I think or maybe it's just bowled over by God's awesomeness. Oh, he's 99 years old. He's very, very old and he encounters God. So he falls down worships God, um, it's a sign of fear of reverence before God. Uh, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. So from father to Abraham, uh, not quite sure what the name means, but it has some connection with uh, verse five, 
father of a multitude of nations. So it's meant to be a reinforcement of his fatherhood, not just of one family, but many families, not just many families, but many nations. So you think of like Malaysia as a nation comprised of different ethnicities, many nations within this nation. And many countries have different cultures, different nations, different communities. You know, imagine all of them having connection to one father. And that's, in a sense, who Abraham is. From this one man, he's going to give birth to many, many civilizations, put it that way. Uh, father of many great you know, achievements and richness of cultures. You know, God's going to use him to bless all these very many peoples around the world. Uh, verse 6, uh, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. So it's going to be fruitful, they're going to be nations, and they're going to be kings. Um, a lot of Genesis there again, you know, God creating, but also blessing the creation. Here God is creating this kind of like new-ish creation through Abraham. You know, it's going to be peoples and nations, but also kings. They're going to be very accomplished, powerful individuals through Abraham. Uh, I think I remember using the example of like Bill Gates. Imagine you're the father of Bill Gates or the father of Elon Musk or the father of um, some great individual uh, who has done great things, kings, CEOs, that kind of thing. Then, you know, it's a reason to be proud, you know, that your sons are accomplishing maybe even more than you, uh, that they've had this significant uh, contribution to society as a whole. Verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations for everlasting, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Aha. Uh -huh. So this is an extension from Abraham to all his kids. God's going to be their God as well. The covenant to Abraham is going to be the covenant to them as well. So kind of like an extension of the contract. He adds like more signatory lines at the end of the contract. You know, all these other people, all these other sons, they're going to be receiving your promises, receiving your blessings, but also will have to obey the terms of the covenant as well. They will have to walk in ways of purity and blamelessness, of righteousness, the way Abram is called to walk in such a way before God. So yeah, uh, verse eight, and I will give to you and your offspring after you the land the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. So at this point, Abraham is in the land, but he doesn't own any of it, not a single plot of land. He has lots of possessions, lots of cattle, sheep, and cows, that kind of thing, but he doesn't own a piece of this land that God has promised to him. Well, it turns out the promise is not for him, but for his kids. They're going to receive this land, all of it, as an everlasting possession. So they're going to have a home, whereas uh, Abram is described as a sojourner, as a traveler. You know, they're going to have something that's permanent. They're going to have a home. They're going to have this place um, that is uh, given to them by God that Abram could only dream of. But I think he's kind of okay with this. Uh, Abram wants this. For his kids he doesn't just want it for himself in fact it makes it all the more special that it's something they can share and you can pass on down to the generations 
I think that says something about his greatness, of his graciousness, and also his motivation. Why? Why he's holding on to these promises, even though he's so old? Because you know it's promises that he can pass down to his children, you know, pass on to others. Then God is his God, but God will be their God as well. A certain graciousness and motivation that uh, you see in Abram, that you see in people who walk with God by faith. You know that they realize that God is a generous God. Doesn't just want to bless them; wants to bless other people around them as well. Verse nine. And God said to Abraham, "As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you." And God building up the tension, "You shall keep this covenant, keep this covenant." But I didn't say what it is yet. So here it is: uh, every male among you shall be circumcised. <laughs> so, all right. So what are they supposed to do to keep this covenant? They have to be circumcised. Now. Uh, I don't know. Do you do you know what circumcision is? Yeah, I know it's quite a normal thing here in Malaysia. But then again, you know, unless you've been circumcised, you know, you might not actually know what's involved. Uh, I used to go to this uh, school uh, when I was in primary school, uh, between six and twelve years old. I was in a school where everyone else was Muslim. Everyone else was Malay. I was the only Chinese kid. In school, I wasn't a Christian then, but also I wasn't Muslim, so I had to learn this from uh, one of the teachers who was telling the kids what to expect when they're about to be circumcised, which is around 12, 13 years old. <laughs> I remember that lesson; it was very eye-opening. He was describing how it was this big deal, you know, in the kampong, in the village,、uh, all the kids who were to be circumcised would be circumcised on the same day. And so there will be this procession, this big celebration that began early in the morning, and I think、uh, they'll wake up and they'll jump into the river, the cold water, and like wake them up, cold water, and then they wear these sarongs, these cloths instead of like trousers. They wear these cloths, and essentially, in order to be circumcised, they sit on the trunk of a pineapple, not pineapple, on a banana tree. They sit on this trunk, and there will be like this. Twig to hold like the skin that would then be cut. So they sit there, they'll be clipped, and someone would come and presumably say some prayers or something, do some rituals, and then they'll cut the foreskin. That then that would be circumcision. I remember hearing that for the first time, thinking, "Whoa!" I had tremendous respect, tremendous respect for my friends who had to go through that. And those who did go through it, they said, you know, it's okay, it's okay, you know, it, it just happens, and then after that, it's done.、Um, but yeah, you know, that's today. You know, it's still being done. You know,、um, among certain religions, and certainly amongst the Jewish religion, this is still observed, and it is a sign. It's a must. You have to do this in order to be called a person of the covenant, to be a called a child of Abraham, and it's because God. God says you have to do this. Oh, wow! And and you know, do Christians have to do this today?、And、that's a question. That's a question. We have to think about this. Think about this and try to answer this. Verse eleven: You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. 
So, wow, even as a baby, you'll be circumcised already. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who's not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall shortly be circumcised. Shortly. This, this definitely must happen. Now, it is just the males, you know, no circumcision for females. Um, at least in the Jewish religion, this is really not mandated. God didn't ask to do this. But for the males, not just his kids, but also anyone that's in his, in relationship with him, in his household, that kind of thing, you know, whether born in the house or bought with money, it means any of the hired hands, uh, even the foreigners who weren't Jewish, as long as they had a connection to Abraham, they had to be circumcised. So God says, so shall my covenant be in flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male. So if you don't want to do this, if you're uncircumcised, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So very serious circumstances. If you don't do this, you know, you're cut off. And maybe that's one of the symbolism of this cutting of the foreskin. It's like, cutting off a permanent cutting off of a connection with God it's maybe a symbolism of cutting off of sin maybe we don't know but that that could be a symbolism of it uh, you know Abram was told to walk in blamelessness and blamelessness and purity so it's uh, in a sense cutting off ties to certain things that will um, tarnish you that will cause you to walk away from God that kind of thing yeah, but either way, if you don't do this, you will be cut off. You will be distanced from God and God's people. Okay. There's more. Verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. So Abraham is Abraham's new name. Sarah is Sarah's new name. So both of them have new identities, I guess. I guess that's the point of God giving them a new name. They're not the same people they were before. God has given them a new identity, a new status in relationship with Him, that they've received this sign. You know, on one hand, it's circumcision. On the other hand, it's this new name, this new identity that God gives them. And maybe it's also a sign of ownership that God is the one who gives them this name. Previously, maybe they chose these names for themselves. You know, their parents gave them this name, but now God is giving them this new name because they belong to God. Um, verse 16, I will bless her. And moreover, I'll give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So, aha. Uh -huh. So finally, God says, you know what, um, I'm going to give you a son. You know, uh, in the previous chapters, Abram tried to have a son by his own strategy. He slept with his servant Hagar, had Ishmael. But God said, no, I'm going to give you a son through your wife, Sarah. And to this, verse 17, Abram fell on his face and laughed. That's an interesting reaction. He, he laughed. He couldn't believe it. He laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? So there's this ten-year gap between Abraham and Sarah. 
but it's still they're both still very seriously very old geriatrics you know and said you know what what you know he laughs you know it's so ridiculous he laughs before god you know that's a very brave thing to do to not believe that god can do this but he shows that even to abraham who received this promise it was something that was very unusual very fantastic that he had a hard time accepting and so he laughed uh, and abraham said to god verse 18 oh that ishmael might live before you god said no but sarah your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name isaac and i think isaac has something to do with laughter yeah isaac my footnote says isaac means he laughs so um, the son that abram will eventually have is going to remind abram of the day that he laughed before god they thought he was too crazy i guess but also maybe you know laughter with joy you know a sign of how this joy is something that's beyond his imagination and didn't expect that god could do this amazing thing give me a son in my old age that kind of surprise that kind of joy that is unanticipated that you know that's that's just so gracious of god to make it happen in this miraculous way um verse verses verse 19 i will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him as for ishmael i've heard you behold i bless him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly so there is ishmael there's isaac and god says he'll bless both of them but differently the line of abraham's blessing will go through isaac not ishmael God will bless Ishmael as well. He'll be a great nation. But the blessings will pass down to Isaac and down through Isaac alone to Isaac's kids and not Ishmael. Um, he shall father 12 princes, talking about Ishmael, and I will make him into a great nation. But, verse 21, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So there is like a time frame. You know, God's going to make this happen in a year uh it's very long but not very long you know um you know uh, can mark it in a calendar you know at this point of time next year you know god's going to give me a son you know abram can actually look forward to this verse 22 when he had finished talking with him god went up from abraham then abraham took ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money every male among the men of abraham's house and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as god had said to him abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin and ishmael's son was 13 years old teenager you know um, quite old by now it means the time frame between uh, chapter 16 and 17 13 years a lot of time had passed before abram met god again he was just waiting and waiting and waiting and then god showed up and said get circumcised and he did it you know uh, he was abraham was 99 years old uh, ishmael was 13 years old verse 26 that very day abraham and his son ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his house those born in the house and those bought with money from the foreigner were circumcised with him symbolizing obedience uh, abraham did exactly as god asked him Now, thinking uh, just about this passage for a while before we move on to us, you know, should Christians get circumcised, that kind of thing. You know, I think we see here Abraham's 
uh, hesitance, but also obedience. He is hesitant. He does laugh. He just thinks it's ridiculous, and he does question God. But at the end of the day, after you know, expressing his doubts and laughing, and you know, having that moment of disbelief, he still carries on in belief. He still carries on in obedience, and this resulted in the circumcision of a 99-year-old man, but also everyone in his household. So obedience meant for Abraham the obedience of everyone around him. And I think, um, what do we learn from this? I don't know, I'm thinking aloud. I think it shows that um, there's a kind of spillover relationship. You know, for those of us who have a relationship with God, um, there is a spillover effect on the people around us that um, they too are called to believe in such a God. You know, it's tempting to think of relationship with God in a very individualistic way. It's just me and God, you know, just us, you know, against the world. But really, you know, God intends to use us to call others to obedience, to relationship with Him. And it's a relationship blessing again, but also it's a relationship that entails a kind of a relationship of obedience. You know, they too are called to that same same walk of blamelessness and purity and righteousness before a God who is righteous, who is holy, who is blameless. Um, yeah, anything else? Um, I think also that period of waiting for Abraham, you know, he waited 13 years. He didn't receive uh, what God had promised him. And suddenly one day God turns up. And I think that shows that um, he was waiting on God. You know, he didn't give up. And um, uh, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. But at the end of the day, when he did respond in worship again, he fell down before God and obedience. It shows that uh, the time that was spent in those 13 years was one of anticipation. You know, God turned up and appeared before a man who was willing to listen to what he had to say. Yeah, how much more us? You know, imagine 13 years. Um, sometimes you pray for something or God has promised you something and you wait for a week, you wait for a year and it seems too long. You know, Abraham waited and then he had to wait another year still before Isaac arrived. But still, he was willing to obey when God called him to. And I guess um, the waiting is uh, maybe for our benefit, I guess, is to help us to realize that, you know, God is God irrespective of our time frames, that God is more than able to work through long periods of time. Sometimes we don't see that change. Sometimes we are in a hurry. But God isn't. And God uh, sometimes is able to show His grace and His power and His blessing all the more when, you know, when it isn't done in a hurry, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right, down to the next question. Uh, should Christians get circumcised today? Uh, I'm thinking no. I'm thinking um, they don't need to. But the question is why? 
why, why is it that Christians aren't circumcised today? Um, and I think there's a passage in Romans chapter 2 that deals with this. Okay, Romans chapter 2. Here we go. Um, where does it talk about circumcision? Okay, all right. Uh, verse 25 of chapter 2. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So circumcision here, speaking to Jews, I think that's who Romans 2 is speaking to initially, um, is a very good thing. And especially for those who are obeying it, uh, obeying the covenant that God gave to Abraham. So if uh, you want to be circumcised, and especially if you're a Jew, it actually is a good thing, I think what Romans 2 is saying, because you want to obey the law and you want to obey God. But he also says, if you don't obey the law and you are circumcised, if you don't obey God and say you're baptized, you know, it says it has no value because uh, the point of circumcision is to show obedience before God, to show this relationship. And if you do this thing, but in your heart and in your life, you do not obey God, no point. I think that's what he's saying. Verse 26, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So here it's talking about the Gentile, non-Jew, maybe the Chinese non-Jew, you know, who is a Christian. You know, if you obey the law, your obedience is counted as circumcision. Yeah. Yeah, don't eat the potong. <laughs> uh, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have writ the written code and circumcision but break the law. Now, this is an interesting comparison, you know, again, because circumcision is a visible mark. Don't ask me how visible it is. How are you going to show me circumcision? But it's, it's something that is physical, that can be observed under certain, certain conditions. But it's saying that, you know, the person who doesn't have this mark but obeys God, who has a relationship with God, will condemn the person who has the mark. Uh -huh. So again, using the example of baptism, you know, or maybe church membership, or, you know, Bible study, you know, knows the Bible very, really well, says you read through the Bible, done all kinds of Bible study, leading, that kind of thing, or maybe leading worship, but then your lives are reflective of that obedience before God. You will be condemned by the person who doesn't have all these marks of circumcision, of, of, of maybe connection, of the, having the right, you know, membership, but they obey God, you know, they will condemn you because you are a hypocrite, I guess. Um, verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So here is a very interesting definition of a Jew, that a Jew is one inwardly. Verse 29, a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart. Where's the heart? Yeah, the heart. Over here. <laughs> and so circumcision is mandated, but it's circumcision of the heart. Uh, meaning obedience, meaning a kind of, you know, putting off a sin that happens at the level of our affections, I guess. Kind of obedience 
that isn't just ceremonial, isn't just outward, isn't just visible, but happens at the level of wants and desires. I want to be a God. I want to love God. I want to love His Word. I want to live it out in a way that really pleases Him. That makes you a person of the covenant. And yeah, does that answer the question? I think in a sense, yes, we don't need to be circumcised. But also, yes, we must be circumcised in our hearts, in our lives before God to show that we really are walking in His ways, really do know Him, and really are aiming to please Him with our lives. And so I guess the question at the end of the day is not, are you circumcised or not? But is your life one that is pleasing before God? And by that, you know, it's not just talking about obeying all the rules or doing all the Bible studies, but really knowing that um, Christ, you know, was in a sense circumcised on our behalf. You know, the idea of circumcision is yet cutting off again. Uh, Christ, I think, on the cross bore the ultimate mark of that cutting off, of that uh, dying to our sin. You know, he physically took on our condemnation of sin and spiritually as well. And because of his condemnation, we bear his marks of righteousness. And I think in that sense, it's meant to bring us to the point, not just whether we are obedient or not, but especially if we are disobedient, especially if we know that we cannot obey this law. We look to Christ, we see his obedience, we see his mark of being cut off, and we realize he is what makes us worthy. He's the one who brings us into the covenant. Yep. Okay. All right. Very embarrassing. You know, every time someone passes by the, the door, I get very conscious. I still do. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So that's Genesis chapter 17. A very Chong Hei look at the chapter. Uh, but yeah, I'm just waiting for the traffic to clear um, before I go home and have dinner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for watching this Monday Bible reading show, looking at Genesis chapter 17 and Romans chapter 2, hopefully answering the question, should Christians be circumcised? And the answer is yes, in the heart and on the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder that you include us in the covenant and you do this through Christ and you do this through his obedience, but also through ours, uh, through that faith expression by trusting in him by holding on to him and therefore receiving from him the blessings of the covenant we thank you and praise you in his name amen amen uh yep yeah bye <laughs>